Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast Holiday Edition. Thank you for uh, spending your holidays with us instead of your families. We know you love us more. Don't lie. Uh, This is going to be a little bit shorter episode than normal because we have our own families to reluctantly spend time with today. Uh, We have three monster games to talk about. Uh, as well as a uh, tremendous bootleg shot of the week winner. But before we get into all that, EJ, how you doing? How's your your holiday week with the family going? Uh, it's going good so far, but uh, the the assumption, shall we say, that children are always wonderful to spend time with is meh. Let's just say it's somewhat flawed for those of you that have children <laughs> in the audience. Like generally, yep, they're great. We love them. But then the thing happens and you end up spending some time with that. So, so far, so good. They've been off school since last Friday. And uh, I would say generally are digging the holiday season so far. We'll see if we can keep that positive momentum going. Uh, If we can't, there's always alcohol for that. Um, But (laughs) speaking of that, uh, I have a one of my favorites, tried and true. Didn't try to go with the theme beer this week. The Montucky Cold Snack. And you might say, EJ, what is indeed a Montucky Cold Snack? It is basically what I describe as the Montana version of a PBR. Uh, It is a light lager made in Montana. My favorite thing about the Montucky Cold Snack is that they give 8% back to local causes, including some clean water initiatives there in Montana. But uh, clean drinking light lager, um, something you can put down a few of and not really feel. So that is my beer for the day. And because it's the holidays, we're going for the good stuff. We're going for the Jamesons. Uh, it is the Black Barrel Jamesons, which is one of my all-time favorites and a go-to during the holidays. But what did you bring? Well, first things first, I feel like all these micro-brews that you bring on every single week, and they're weird-ass names. It's like bands at Coachella that play the side stage. You could just say any random combination of words and syllables, and I'm going to assume you're telling the truth. You could be completely lying about the name, and I wouldn't know the difference because every single microbrew, I swear to God, has some wacky-ass name beer. And they're all great, but it's like part of beer culture where it's like, okay, let me come up with the weirdest name I possibly can. I think this is a new bootleg segment where I try and fool you and I'm like, okay, here's a name. Is that a real beer or is that made up? Oh, microbreweries never change. Uh, I have uh, also, well, it's not really a micro distillery. They got distribution all over the place, but it's kind of a lesser known distillery. I have Sagamore Spirits, which is a local Maryland distillery. I have their rye 
which is probably uh, their most famous offering. Really, really classic rye, uh, you know, baking spices and clove and, uh, you know, oranges in there and got some caramel and vanilla. Just it, it really kind of heavy on the sweet and the spice like you would expect from any classic rye. Great in the wintertime. I, I, I always become a rye guy in the winter just because it just kind of fits the season. I, I like bourbon and scotch every other part of the year, but uh, ryes just go so well in the holidays. So I have that for my main sipper tonight. And then for our bootleg shot of the week, which we'll get into in just a second, I have uh, Wild Turkey 101 because I hate myself. <laughs> because you're really mad at your stomach. <laughs> I'm, I'm mad at my stomach. And I'm gonna make it pay for what it's about to go through on Christmas. That's day. right. You're gonna you're gonna give it the you're gonna give it the mother of all shots. That's something else. No, the uh, the one from Sagamore sounds very much like a holiday. You're naming off all those notes, and I was like, man, that just sounds like you should be sitting by a fire with your feet up in like wool socks, slapping down a glass of that. It sounds extremely holiday to me. Yeah, it's good shit. Uh, before we get into this Eagles-Cardinals game, I do want to congratulate last week's bootleg shot of the week winner, a rare offensive winner, Zach Paschal from the Indianapolis Colts with the mother of all chip blocks against the Raiders. We threw that clip in the comments from last week's episode. You guys can check it out if you missed it. Uh, just an incredible chip block putting the edge defender on his ass. Uh, fantastic work from Zach Paschal. So I got my wild turkey 101 ej you all good to go i am good i got the jameson black barrel and i'm looking forward to it right. cheers to you mr pascal cheers indeed <clears throat> always good to see a decleater from somebody that was just supposed to quote unquote get a piece of the defender <coughs> um instead oh. flat up flat up <coughs> grabs him and knocks him on his can Ooh. you shouldn't breathe it you really shouldn't <sighs> Oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> you all right there? We gonna we gonna uh, keep you for the rest of the podcast, or did you breathe it? Oh, have you ever had um, high proof whiskey go down the wrong pipe? I actually have. Um, I'm very sorry to say, um, it's bad enough when you get something like I don't know lime seltzer that happens to go into your lungs instead instead of your. Am stomach. I dying? I, I oh hope God. not, but it probably feels like it for just a moment. Breathe through it. You'll probably be all right. Oh, Jesus. While he works off his stinger, uh, we're going to talk about some games here. First game up is Eagle. Ah, Eagles. Woo. First game up here is Eagles, Cardinals. Um, this was an interesting game. We wanted to talk about it, certainly from the Jalen Hurts aspect, but also from the fact that the Cardinals are sort of playing for their playoff lives. And uh, they, if they win out, they're going to control their own destiny. Uh, if they don't, there are several teams hot on their heels. So makes it an interesting game. Didn't start out particularly cleanly uh, for the Cardinals. Eagles took over, got a free possession on a Cardinals fumble. Hertz makes a rookie mistake, tossing it out of bounds uh, from inside the end zone inside the tackle box that ends up being a philadelphia safety which is not great puts them behind the eight ball but kind of sets the stage for the rest of the dramatics to come during the game and i i think when you start out down nine to nothing against a really good offense or at least a good offense on paper against the cardinals you would think that the eagles would be out of it right then and there because the eagles under carson wentz absolutely mm. would have been out of this game 
But Jalen's ability to come back and make this a game and kind of go toe for toe for the rest of it after making an early mistake that put them into a, a hole, um, it, 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 I think it was a commendable performance overall. And fun fact, if you didn't know this already, EJ, so he put up 401 yards total, uh, four touchdowns total, no turnovers. Carson Wentz never had 401 total yards in any game of his career. And he had, he had been playing for five years up until he just got benched a few weeks back. Never put up 401 yards. Jalen Hurst did it in his second start. Jalen also had, again, as I said, four total TDs, zero turnovers. There were some mistakes, but no critical mistakes like turnovers, which have plagued the Eagles all year long under Wentz. Wentz had only done that once in five seasons. Four touchdowns, no turnovers. So Hertz's ability to just be safer with the football, not take as many sacks uh, as you know Wentz would have last week against the Saints. He was very good at escaping pressure, not you know putting his off or putting his defense in a hole with bad turnovers. The ability for him to play safe, the ability for him to turn plays that should be losses into gains with his legs. He's again the Eagles are not a very good team, but he's elevating them in ways that Carson Wentz has not elevated them in probably a couple years now. And I got to say, the Eagles are a better team with Jalen Hurts under center. Yeah, it's not even close in terms of that contest. The ability for him to, like you said, make positive plays out of ones that would have been negative with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was starting to see the rush too early, was dropping his eyes, was throwing some ill-advised balls. Hurts' ability to not only come back from an early mistake, but put up all those yards, put up all those touchdowns. Yeah, it's not even really close in terms of is it a better team under Hertz or Wentz, and that really puts Philadelphia in a crazy situation because the massive extension they signed Wentz to hasn't even taken effect yet. It literally yeah. takes effect after this season, so the massive whatever it was, 124 or 40, I don't have the number at hand, million-dollar extension that they're on the hook for for massive money for the next two to three years hasn't even kicked in yet. And that guy's on the bench, and the guy they've got playing gives them a much better chance to win. In all facets right now, Philadelphia's in a fascinating situation, but I don't want to... I don't want to get into that because Hertz didn't sign anybody to an extension. He's just been given the job and a bunch of people were like, "Huh, is this going to last? And this week on Twitter, I said, look, one of my favorite things about Jalen Hurts is his ability and his continual drive to improve. Mm-hmm. Anybody that saw Jalen Hurts as a young player at Alabama and said, oh, that's what he is. You're doing that at your own peril. Anybody that saw Jalen Hurts and said, oh, he's just a running quarterback, he can't throw, is doing that at your own peril, right? He has continued to develop as a player, as a leader, as a thrower. He's a complete player, and he's going to get better. Whatever you're seeing from Jalen Hurts right now, he's going to learn from and make less of those mistakes going forward. He has done that at every step of his career. He did it at Alabama. He did it at Oklahoma. He's going to do it in Philadelphia. Got news for you, folks. He's not giving the job back. No way. Nope. No No how. Jalen Hurts is the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles for the foreseeable future. Get used to it. And that's not a bad thing. 
His rushing TD at 101 in the third quarter is as good as a wanted play as you're going to see this year. Like, he uh, oh would Oh, my God. That, was that the one denied. where he ran over that dude? Yeah, and he got what looked to be stopped, full-up stopped at about the four-yard line, found a way to lean, get one more stride, and basically jack himself into the end zone. Like, this is the heart this guy is going to display. And I'm not saying that Carson Wentz plays without heart. He's had some tremendous runs, including for touchdowns, this year his own damn self. Like, Carson Wentz it has been trying as hard as he can. It happens to be that right now, Jalen Hurts' version of trying as hard as he can is better than Carson Wentz' version of trying as hard as he can. And I, I'm, I've been a big Jalen Hurts guy from the beginning. I mean, I had him in the first round of my mock draft and people thought I was nuts. But the reason why I had him in the first round was because I've learned lessons from my misevaluations of Pat Mahomes. I learned lessons from my misevaluation of Deshaun Watson. I'm going to learn lessons from my misevaluation of Justin Herbert as well and, and the errors I made in that one. But I tried to correct the errors that I made with Mahomes and Watson with Hurts by looking at him and seeing that improvement that you talked about from year to year. Because as you said, progression is not necessarily linear, but if a guy gets better every single year for four straight years, if you're in the middle of an upswing that's four years in the making, I'm, I want to ride that wave if I'm an evaluator. If I see him consistently get better in two different programs, despite everything he went through, getting benched, getting back into the championship game against Georgia, leading them back, uh, and then you know having to transfer to Oklahoma after that, becoming uh, a Heisman runner-up in his first year starting at a new program at a new offense, like to see his progression from where he was when he was the SEC freshman of the year, where basically their most unstoppable play was QB keep, it was not a pass, and then seeing where he is now. I I love his ability to get better, and that's why I wanted him as a first-rounder. I projected him to the Saints because I thought he would be perfect for Sean Payton. Um, oh, I, no, no, no. They have Taysom Hill, haven't you heard? See, Jalen Hurts <laughs> is what Sean Payton really wants Taysom Hill to be. And I'm yeah, not the first person to tweet, say that, by the and way. It was, but it was beautiful and succinct, and I loved it for both reasons. It's he does everything that Taysom Hill does while also being able to be a real quarterback. But he adds that mobility that Taysom has. He adds the quarterback run game that Taysom has. But he's a better thrower than Taysom. He's a better decision maker than Taysom. And again, his progression of improvement is better than Taysom's ever was. Whether we're talking about college Taysom or in the pros Taysom. So I think... We really have nowhere to go but up with Jalen Hurts. I love where he's at, and I love where he's going. I think Philadelphia has their new quarterback of the future. The Eagles would be grossly uh, ill-advised if they did anything but start Jalen Hurts for the rest of the year. And I think they're going to have to basically almost do like a Brock Osweiler trade and pay a team to take Carson off the books for them. If they trade him, they still have it was like 32 or 36 million a cap hits a monster cap hit but yeah it's not friendly i would give up a pick to have somebody take the other tens of millions of dollars for me just 
get him out of Philly because there was reports that he wanted to be traded if he wasn't the starter anyway. So I feel like this this relationship can only get worse with Carson Wentz and the Eagles. I would pay another team to take him off my books. Somebody else yeah, can go try to fix him. I would him. not be surprised if we see the first multi-pick trade that it's Carson Wentz and two picks because the financial liability is very difficult to get rid of the way his contract is structured. You are on the hook for a tremendous amount of money. Even if you trade him, a large amount of dead cap is going to accelerate to your books immediately. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing in this particular situation because you've got the guy that's going to be playing quarterback for the Eagles for the foreseeable future in Jalen Hurts. You really do need to get uh, the other player who is not giving you any value out of town. Take your medicine financially. Do what you need to do to do that. Um, hopefully it's a fresh start for Carson Wentz somewhere else and he can get back to that uh, really league-leading form that he showed for the for the one year. Um, if I'm a team, I'm not necessarily betting on that, but uh, there are plenty of teams that are quarterback needy. Hopefully this works out for both parties, but Philadelphia really has to part ways with Carson Wentz and uh, really ride Jalen Hurts in this wave forward because I think that's best for the franchise. Yeah, it's just, it's it's time. It's time. Uh, now I do want to bring up uh, Gardeck. Seven sack. Is it Gardeck? Is that how you pronounce it? Or is yeah, it Gardeck? no, Gardeck has seven. And, and I was, this is a sort of trend around the league because we talked about this in our, our previews for all the divisions. We talked about the fact that everybody says, oh, 10 sack guy, 10 sack guy. There are very few 10 sack guys around the league. The 10 sack guys are elites. They're premier. Uh, they're hard to get. They're terribly expensive. And seven or eight sacks is a really good performance uh, in the modern quick pass, how to limit sacks NFL. And Gardeck is one of those guys that has showed up. He's on a roll lately. He's got seven now. I was watching the Rams this week. They've got a defender on that line. Again, you've got a lot of talent on that line. You've got Aaron Donald, Brockers, and Floyd. You know, one of their guys has seven as well. And you're like, oh, okay, all these guys that are benefiting from um, extra pressure. Gardeck is pretty much a hustle guy, uh, you know, and he has made it happen, especially lately. He's created a ton of pressure for the Cardinals, and it's notable that he has seven. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he ended up with nine or ten. And that's saying something. Again, that's rare air when you talk about it. People think ten sacks is somehow fairly easy to get, and in the modern NFL, it's actually quite difficult. So Gardeck is a name worth noting, and one of those names we'd love to bring up to you because not a lot of guys know about Gardeck, right? They're not going to list him anywhere near the top sack threats in the NFL. You know what I find interesting? So between Dennis Gardick and uh, Hassan Reddick, Reddick and Gardick, I, I know, it's easy to confuse the Reddick's, two. Reddick's had a couple of weeks. <laughs> Five last week and a couple more. Yeah, so. and so they they have 18 sacks between the two of them. At least I think it's 18. Yeah, so uh, Reddick has 11, Dennis Gardick has 7, as you said. 18 sacks. They're both edge rushers. Uh, they're both about the same size. Reddick is 6'1", 235. Gardick is, is six foot two thirty. Very small for edge rushers, and yet they're both 
extremely effective. And this is kind of a trend, particularly among three, four teams that I think people should pay attention to of very, and I mean very undersized designated pass rushers where you see teams go for like, you know, six foot six, six foot seven tackles with super long arms, tons of size. The hardest block, and you talk to any offensive lineman, they'll say the same thing. The hardest block for a really big offensive tackle is a really little edge rusher because they can't get low enough to out leverage them. Most of these guys are lightning quick, quicker than quicker than the tackles are. Obviously, they're you know 320 pounds, and other than like the freak athletes, they don't move as well. And so we like to to talk about you know these huge hulking defensive ends with 35 inch arms and tons of power, but sometimes it's the little guys that really cause problems again because you can't. Um, you can't really get leverage on them and you can't set quick enough for them to beat you to the landmark. And so I think it's it's kind of an interesting case study with this Cardinal teams of how they're how they're using small, fast guys to generate pressure. And they're letting the linebackers and the interior defensive line kind of handle everything else and just letting the little guys rush off the edge. It's a very, very interesting approach. Obviously, next year Chandler Jones is going to be back, who is your typical, you know, 6'5, 35 inch arms kind of guy. But just this rotation of Mighty Mouses is just fascinating to me. Yeah, it's funny because one of my all time favorite rushers in the league right now, in terms of that profile, the short guy that you would not think has a ton of success, is Jannard Avery. And Mm -hmm. the Browns traded him to the Eagles. He's on the other side of this Cardinals equation in this particular game. And one of those guys that when you scouted him at Memphis was like, wait, he's what? He's (laughs) wait, they're playing him at edge like that. Typically, that's a middle linebacker or inside linebacker profile. Six foot two thirty, Right. You're like, meh. And you know, the most impactful snaps for Jannard Avery when you were scouting him was when they had him on the edge or extremely on the edge wide nine. Like that's when he made impact. And it was like, no, this guy's an edge rusher. Like he's tremendously effective as an edge rusher. His physical profile says he's not one, but his tape says he absolutely is one. That's where you should put him. Um, and I think the Eagles saw that. They ended up paying a higher price when I saw that he had been traded to the Eagles. I was like, ah, they probably stole him, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. I think it ended up being a fourth round pick when Jannard Avery was moving. I was like, that's actually probably closer to fair compensation. That guy can get to the quarterback, and that is a very desirable skill in the modern NFL. And see, what's interesting, since you bring up Avery, I, I do want to kind of give you a little nod for this and and the little guys so he's had less than 50 pass rush snaps for the eagles the entire season still has two sacks so he's getting a sack once every 24 pass rush snaps which is incredibly efficient you look at a guy like tj watt who's got more sacks than any other edge in the league other than trey hendrickson he does it once every 34 pass rush reps so that's incredible pass rush efficiency i'm i'd be curious to see what would happen if they give him even more snaps if he could kind of maintain that efficiency it's highly unlikely that he would because that's like all pro type pass rush efficiency but still uh i i think you're onto something there where again a small guy with leverage that knows how to use his hands can convert speed to power even despite his size you should get Jannard avery on the field a lot more often because he's 
ripping dudes up right now. I really wanted the Bears to grab them. I knew they wouldn't because they tend to play a little bit more prototypical size profile, as do most teams uh, at edge. They're not going to put a guy that's six foot at edge. Uh, but again, he's one of those guys where you kind of have to throw out the measurables and look at the tape. And when you look at the tape, a guy like Jannard Avery just pops off the tape. Like he created havoc again, regularly is the thing, right? The occasional pass rush win, you know, it looks good. It makes a highlight. That's awesome. But when he put on his tape, it was like when they put him in the middle, cause they played him at both places, they put him in the middle. He was I would say average or did his job, uh, a role player, things like that. When you put him on the edge, it lit up. All of a sudden, the tape got real exciting. He was beating people. He was creating pressure opportunities. He was, you know, swatting passes. He was knocking footballs away, um, creating strip sacks, dragging guys down from behind. Like, it was like, holy cow, this guy is effective outside. And again, you look at his measurables, you're like, wait, he's six foot tall? Yeah, he's six foot, flat six foot. You're like, okay, but again, every time I got excited, he was in a wide alignment coming off the edge. That's where he deserves to be in some sort of organization that can look outside the profile and say, look, he shouldn't win out here, but he does. So that's where we're going to put him is going to be successful. Speaking of young Eagles making plays, by the way, uh, that Quez Watkins touchdown (laughs) yeah i I don't remember last time i saw somebody get a tunnel screen recognize that the defense was going to completely blow it up and then reverse field and go outside on the tunnel screen where theoretically there there should be at least one leverage defender there but there wasn't uh, because the cardinals defender jumped inside and then just used that four three speed to to get uh get the touchdown out of it but i mean reversing field on a tunnel screen is crazy getting a touchdown out of it even crazier. That dude is fast. Yeah, Chris Watkins was a bit of a draft darling uh, because of his speed, not necessarily because of his route polish or anything else, but there are other guys like this taken much higher in the draft, um, like LaVisca Chenault, who was really... It was about the athleticism and what they can do in space once they get once they get the ball. So it's all about getting them the ball, and tunnel screen is one of the safer ways to do that in the NFL the thing about that Quez Watkins touchdown was the unreal jab step to reverse field, right? Gets the tunnel screen and just puts his foot in the ground and goes outside in a blink. And then, like you said, once he gets going, he's a long strider. He's going to make it um, and he can show off that blazing speed. But it's all about finding a way as a coach to get these guys who are playmakers, the ball in their hands in ways that are uh, high percentage and fairly safe, right? The old, you know, go route down the edge. He might not win the jump ball over defensive backs in the NFL. Instead, take the defensive back out of the equation, get him the ball in space on a what turned out to be like a three-yard completion, if you're talking about air yards, and see what he can do with the rest. And in this particular case, ridiculous NBA-level jab step and takes it for the touchdown. You know, I, I did see you put a note in there about that crazy DeAndre Hopkins touchdown. I just want to give you a heads up. I refuse to talk about it. I really mm. do because it hurts too Well, if we're much. talking about receivers, I'll talk about it because you can't. <sighs> DeAndre Hopkins, I the note I put in here that Brett's referring to is unreal as usual. <laughs> and then there's a second one farther on down that says D-Hop. 
is he for real? <laughs> His TD on a contested catch is just so him. And that one, if you want to look it up, 722 in the fourth quarter. Um, look, DeAndre Hopkins making plays is not news. Uh, everybody knows he's capable of that. He is continuing that. He has not dropped off. Uh, if anything, he is continuing it at his previously unreal level. And the other receiver that we need to talk about is a much less well-known figure, and that's Greg Ward for the Eagles. I was extremely happy when he got a chance for Philadelphia. This is a guy that played a little bit of quarterback in college. He played a little bit of wide receiver. He was basically an offensive weapon, settled at wide receiver in the NFL, and has been making plays at a sort of low level, both with Carson Wentz at quarterback and also now with Jalen Hurts. Ended up with two touchdowns in this one. If you don't know Greg Ward's name, look him up. One of those all-time sort of really good athletes with a perspective of having played quarterback settled at wide receiver and that just helps him he sort of welds all that experience into knowing where he would go if he was throwing the ball uh very effective weapon under the radar i think for um the philadelphia eagles to most fans eagles fans know him pretty well because again he's had more than his share of highlights uh, but D hop on one side, super well known. Uh, we've talked about it plenty, probably future hall of famer. And on the other side, Greg Ward, who continues to put up points for an Eagles team that is undermanned. And it's funny on that Ward touchdown on fourth and three. So it was a, it was a sprint left and Ward was, uh, taking the flat route and then Jalen just didn't pull the trigger. So then he kind of turned back inside and Jalen hit him back inside when he reset his feet. But when you look at it, Ward was directly in front of another receiver that was at the back pylon, which I think was Jalen Rager, if I remember correctly. So they were both kind of sitting there in a line and I don't actually know if he was trying to throw it to Ward, Ward might've just <laughs> went back inside and stepped in front of it. He might've been trying to hit Jaylen, Jalen Rager at the back pylon uh, and the DB was in a decent position on Rager, too. So Ward might have rescued Jalen a little bit from a bad play. I can't quite tell. I'd have to look at the All-22 to see where his eyes were pointing. But uh, to me, it kind of looked like Ward just stepped back inside, uh, completely you know, improv that route uh, when Jalen didn't pull the trigger to the flat initially to the near pylon and then just kind of took it away from Rager. I thought it was fascinating I, I encourage people to kind of go look at it in the highlights and see you know what your determination of it is but uh yeah I think that's just kind of his his old quarterback coming out in him of like oh route's over like let he's, me work against the grain he's an extremely heady player Greg mm-hmm. Ward is a guy that gets himself in the right spots look he's a great athlete almost everybody in the NFL is a tremendous athlete Greg Ward as much or more so than many um didn't end up at receiver by accident he definitely has physical gifts but when you combine that with a quarterback's perspective and the ability to catch the ball in in strange spots like greg ward is a real asset to that team that just doesn't get a ton of press yeah he's uh i think there are some young gems in that receiving core they they got some older guys that they probably got to get rid of uh, looking at you, Alshon, but there are some things to look forward to in the future for, for Eagles fans, absolutely. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about that horrible pick that Murray threw 
in the end zone in the third quarter. It kind of seems like Kyler has one or two really bad plays in him per game. I'm not really sure why yet, but it just it feels like every once in a while his field vision is just inexplicably terrible. And it's not like, oh, he's a small guy, there's big linemen in front of him, he can't see what's going on. I'm talking like there's big lanes of vision for him where he theoretically should see what's going on, but he tunnel visions on someone and just makes a completely inexcusable decision. And he does it, again, at least once per game. And it's this is kind of a new thing for him. He didn't really do this early in the year, but he's doing it now. I, I don't know if it's because he's pressing, because he knows he has to win every single game to get in the playoffs now or what, but he's got to dial it in a little bit because some of this hero ball that he's trying to play right now, it's if he doesn't dial that in, it's going to go kind of towards the way of Carson Wentz here and end up doing a lot more damage than good. Yeah, I don't know that it's going to stack up like the the current Wentz that we saw before he was benched for Hertz, but I'm with you that occasionally, I, I would say one, I don't know about one to two, but definitely one play a game, I get Trubisky flashbacks from Murray. And I'm not saying that Kyler Murray is the same player as Mitch Trubisky before you all jump in the comments and burn me at the stake. That's not the same thing, but it tends to be that kind of thing. It's like, well, I'm looking, I'm looking, well, he's double covered. I'm just going to toss it up. And you're like, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it it hasn't, it's cost him occasionally in the regular season. Those are the kind of plays in the playoffs when everything elevates and each play is worth a little bit more. You know, the NFL famously won and done in the playoffs. Those are the kind of mistakes that you're not going to be able to make as a playoff quarterback, assuming the cards get to the playoffs, and be successful and get past the first round. You cannot give your opponents the extra possessions. And Murray has been a little bit too loose with some of those throws. Like, ah, there's a bunch of guys there. Let's see what happens. He's going to have to throw that one away and live for another day. And specifically the one against the Eagles, it was second and goal. Like, you don't even have to press on second and down. Like, you're up by six. You know, if it's not there, throw it away. Like, he threw it right to the post safety. They were in a three-by-one with a single high safety. So if some people don't know, like, most of the time, the post safety, they'll play a lean post technique, so they'll lean more towards the trip side. He hung directly in the middle because he knows that most of the time when you go three by one in the red zone, at least for the Cardinals, uh, they're going to try to pick on that one-on-one in the back side. Yep. Yeah, they want the ISO. The post safety literally sat on it the entire time. Kyler just didn't see him sitting there. He threw it right to him. It's almost like he didn't check. Yeah, I've got bad pick in my notes, Like, and bad is, is capitalized. Like Murray throws a bad pick in the end zone, 544 third quarter if you want to go look at it. Um, he just, I think you said it best. He just didn't see him. Right. And when you don't see defenders, that's when you're going to throw those picks that look tremendously obvious and hit somebody literally right in the numbers. That's not on your team. It was not a good look and he's going to have to clean those up. Like, I don't, I don't think it's beyond his scope. I don't think he's not capable of doing it, but he's going to have to take those quote unquote bad reps out of his game. If the Cardinals want to go anywhere. Yeah. So it's, uh, it was a little bit of an 
I don't want to say it was an ugly performance, but there's been an up and down performance for probably the last five or six weeks for Kyler. I know we can talk about the shoulder injury impacting things, and I'm sure it has, but in terms of just decision-making, it's been kind of up and down for this Cardinals offense. Uh, The good news is, though, his defense got six sacks. Uh, Really, (laughs) really hampered they've Jaylen been on Hurts. a tear for two weeks I mean, oh Hassan yeah, reddick yeah. had five by himself last week and he wasn't alone he had help and then this week they pick up six uh split between you know garlic reddick and uh a bunch of guys and whenever you put six sacks sacks are a definitively negative play that make it very different uh very difficult for the offense to succeed so just like you look at explosive plays on the offensive side, plays of, you know, depends on your definition of explosive, 15 to 20 yards or more in a chunk, the likelihood that you're going to get points out of that drive goes way up. And sacks are the exact same thing on the defensive side. If you get a sack during a drive, the likelihood that that drive continues or continues for points goes way down. So it's basically an explosive play for the defense, erasing a down like that. Uh, and when you pick up six of those in a game, you're really blunting a lot of drives. Yeah, especially for an offense that, at least for the Eagles, they don't have a a really explosive vertical passing game yet. Like, theoretically, they have a lot of speed, but they don't really have the line to protect long enough for them to, to stretch the field vertically. And uh, it's... Jalen Hurts isn't quite at the same level of Pat Mahomes in terms of being able to run 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage and still launch it 40 yards down the field. Like, that doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> so it's it's not going to work for rookie Jalen Hurts in his second start. Weird that. <laughs> uh, so the, the vertical passing game isn't quite there yet to, to kind of lengthen their margin for error. So again, the six sacks added up. They kind of covered for Kyler in a way, making some, uh, I don't want to say many mistakes but a couple big mistakes critical mistakes. critical yeah. mistakes but the defense was there they backed them up uh you know the eagles just could not quite dig out of that early hole they tried to hail mary at the end couldn't get it so they lose by seven but uh i, I thought it was a really gutsy performance by hertz mostly good performance by kyler but again got to clean some stuff up great performance from the pass rush for the cardinals defense at least uh, I I do think Arizona still has a shot to make the playoffs, but Kyler really needs to be on his best behavior if they want to win in the playoffs because the NFC is a slaughterhouse. Yeah, if they win out, they almost control their own destiny. If they win out, it's yes. going to be very tough to displace them. Um, as a Bears fan, I need them to lose at least one game because if they do that and the Bears win out, the Bears will make it. So Wait, there you go. the Bears still have a shot? The Bears actually have a much better shot. We, we're probably not going to talk about that because we're not covering the Bears game this week, but the Bears shot uh, with them beating Minnesota is actually not any kind of exponential. Like, it's all they need really is the cards to lose a game. If the cards lose a game and they win out, they're in. Let me look up the Cardinals' schedule because I think they still play the Rams. They play in San Francisco. And that's a thing. And then they play L.A. So they have two divisional games in a row. Uh, San Francisco, look, San Francisco's probably going to be starting C.J. Beathard. That's not a great thing if you're a if you're a 49ers fan. But they have one with him. And, and, you know, Shanahan is always a schemer. He can come up with some creative points where other coaches might not be able to. And, again, if look, if Kyler throws it up to that secondary – 
and San Francisco gets a couple extra possessions, like they could absolutely steal that game. And then the Rams straight up in a divisional game, it is, you know, week 17. So if the Rams are resting their starters, Arizona has a much better chance. If, if LA comes out at full strength, I pick LA in that game, just sort of based on their pass rush alone. Um, the problem, though, is that in Week 17, while the Cardinals play the Rams, the Bears play the Packers. But if Ugh. they rest their starters, because the Packers are guaranteed the division win, right? I, it might so depend on is, if the Packers think that they either have the first seed locked up or, or right. Not. That this absolutely, you're you're not wrong. This absolutely comes down to the Packers, and if Packers come out at half strength with no Devonte Adams. No Aaron Jones, and you know they don't want to risk David Bakhtiari to a knee injury, and they pull all those guys. Uh, the Bears have a decent chance to win that game. Straight up, they're not winning that game. But yeah. if the Packers pull Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, uh, Devontae Parker, and David Bakhtiari, uh, I'd actually give the Bears a shot in that game, especially the way they're playing right now. So... You know, while their shot three weeks ago seemed exponential and, and out of reach, the, the Bears' shot is not fiction at this point. Mitch Trubisky, back in the playoffs. Oh, God. Don't, Let's make it don't, happen. Would, <laughs> just like you don't want to talk about D-Hop, that's a conversation for another time. Hey, at least you guys have won more than, I don't know, two games. Just yeah, saying. well, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the Rams, by the way, why don't we talk about this Jets Rams game? Cause it was, yeah, you proposed wild. this and I was like, do we have to talk about that? I mean, besides the obvious draft implications, do we have to talk about that. And then in my measured <laughs> response, I went back and actually watched the game and I was like, Oh yeah, I don't mind talking about that game. Let's talk about that game. It was actually not a bad game. I mean, if you're a Rams fan, it's a terrible game. And if you're a Jets fan, it's uh, a terrible game. <laughs> also but a terrible game, about yeah. anyways. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing, Jets fans. And I got a I got an episode coming out this week kind of addressing your pain and anguish from presumably losing Trevor Lawrence and yada, yada, yada. Here's the thing. The Jets roster is not really the problem. There's enough talent on this roster that they can kind of brute force their way to a win just from having good players. It was bound to happen eventually. You have an elite left tackle in Mekhi Becton. You have one of the two or three best interior pass rushes in the entire league. When you look at Quinnen Williams um, and and uh, John Franklin Myers together, like both of them are in the top 15 in defensive tackles and pressures per game. Like, that is an elite interior rush. And Fadakasi, uh, their nose tackle, who was out in the Rams game, is an elite run-stopping nose tackle. So, like, their interior trio is monstrously good. It's hard to be a bad team when you have that kind of unit to build around. Uh, Bryce Hall was a corner that made a play in this game that was just an outrageously good pick. He was in a hang zone uh, where he just kind of knew a bootleg was coming to the wide side of the field, sat on it, looked at Jared Goff's eyes, picked it off, took it back, got in field goal range, and that field goal ended up being the difference in the game. Uh, Marcus May, elite safety in his own right when he's healthy. He was uh, he he made the, the game-sealing pass breakup on fourth and long on Gerald Everett on the go ball. He's one of the better man cover defenders for a safety in the league. Denzel Mims is an exciting young receiver. Jamison Crowder is a top-tier slot receiver, in my opinion. 
Uh, Greg Van Rotten, right guard, who was out in this game. He's been out the last couple weeks. Above average right guard. Fant, I think, is at least an average right tackle. There's talent on this team. There's good players on this team. Eventually, if you have enough good players, they're going to win a game, even with Adam Gase at head coach. The reason why they're 1-14 or whatever it is now is because Adam Gase is their head coach and he holds back all that talent because he's absolutely terrible. But this team is not as bad as you think. As great as it would be to get Trevor Lawrence, this roster is not that... Uh, like The shopping list, I should say, is not that bad in terms of how many players you still have to get to have a complete roster. Like, if you trade down from second overall, let's say somebody comes up and gives you a King's Ransom uh, for Justin Fields, and you really like Zach Wilson, you move down a couple picks, you get an extra first rounder, you, you get a left guard, you get a center, you get Zach Wilson, you use all these picks you've been accumulating from the Jamal Adams trade and all the other trades you've made, all the money that you've saved up in cap space, you go out, you get a couple free agents. All of a sudden, you have a really good structure around a talented quarterback like, say, Zach Wilson. Maybe you still like Sam Darnold. Maybe Darnold's the starter next year and you try to resurrect his career. I don't really care. Either way, you get a talented young quarterback with a better coach surrounded by a lot of talent. All of a sudden, this is going to be a good team. It was not that long ago where the uh, San Francisco 49ers, we'll use them as an example, were awful. Absolutely awful, but they had some key talent to build around. You get a better coach in there like Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you get a decent quarterback through a trade in Jimmy Garoppolo. You get a few just absolutely monstrous hits on draft picks. And all of a sudden they went to the Super Bowl. It's it's not that far-fetched to me that the Jets could turn this around and turn it around really fast because they beat a very good Rams team just through talent alone. Adam Gase had almost nothing to do with that win. And they still beat the Rams. That's encouraging yeah. to me. It It is. And here's another one that's sort of on the flip side of what you think may be there might not actually be there. And this one comes from my fellow co-host on Bears Over Beers. Uh, Jeff Burke has posted this. First round QBs drafted between 2010 and 2016 still starting for their drafted team Jared Goff that's it starting f- that's it that's the full list starting for other teams Newton Tannehill Bridgewater wow done four wow. total quarterbacks in the last six well I mean between 10 and 16 again we're not we're not taking rookies here uh, you know, or, or players that have been with their team for a, a short period of time. Between 10 and 16, first round drafted QB is still starting for the drafted team, Jared Goff. Starting for other teams, Newton, Tannehill, Bridgewater. Backups, Bortles, Winston, Mariota, RG3, Wentz. Out of the league, Bradford, Tebow, Locker, Ponder, Luck, Whedon, Manuel, Manziel, Lynch. <laughs> Yikes. Right. Yikes. So when you're talking about, oh, we got to get a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, generally, you know, starters are typically coming from the first round, but might not be for the team that drafts them. Right. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is dog food or anything else. He's a very good quarterback prospect. That's nice. And I realize he has been built to a pillar, whereas it's Trevor Lawrence or bust or the Jets are going to suck for another 10 years. 
the reality of everything Brett just laid out and the reality of first-round quarterback draft history that I just laid out combined to let you say, maybe there's another path forward, right? Uh, in fact, several paths forward. There's the trade down option. There's a, there's a bunch of other things that could happen. So don't panic, Jets fans. Don't go jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. We don't we don't need you doing that, right? It's very possible that look, your last draft class was really good. <laughs> Has a lot of very talented players that both Brett and I were like, yep, those are great players, and they haven't necessarily been showcased again under the current regime. Denzel Mims not scratching the surface yet. You've seen a couple of flashes. That ain't what that guy's got. There's more. It's coming. Now, yes, do you need a quarterback profile? Yes, you need a quarterback upgrade. Um, Can you get it, given that you have the, right now, second overall pick? Hell yes. So just hold your breath for a minute. It's okay. I realize it seems like the sky's falling because no Trevor Lawrence, but you'll be all right. To my knowledge, and EJ, you've been around longer than me, so you can correct me if I'm wrong here. There's kind of three other quarterback prospects ever that are as hyped as Lawrence. And that's John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck. Two out of those three generational prospects, and keep in mind that all three of those guys lived up to the billing. They justified their hype. They were phenomenal uh, I mean, truly phenomenal quarterbacks. If Luck played longer, he probably would have ended up as a first ballot Hall of Famer. The other two are first ballot Hall of Famers and some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And yet, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and yet, two out of those three generational quarterbacks, you could argue were not even the best quarterbacks in their own draft class. Because in 1983, Dan Marino went after John Elway. And at least in my opinion, Dan Marino was a better quarterback than John Elway. One of the best pure passers Ever. He wasn't as accomplished in terms of rings of John Elway, but I mean, EJ, you saw both of them play live in their prime. Dan Marino was a beast. And when it comes to Andrew Luck in the third round, Seahawks got Russell Wilson, who's probably going to end up as one of the 10 best quarterbacks ever. So even Elway and Luck, who 100% justified their hype, there were quarterbacks that were at minimum as good that went later. And I think that even if Lawrence justifies his hype. Let's say he goes to Jacksonville, has a great career. Fine, whatever. If you build a structure with the New York Jets, and I think Joe Douglas is fully capable of doing this because he's got a good eye for talent. If you build a good structure and you hire a good coach that can develop a young quarterback, like say Brian Dable, who developed the hell out of Josh Allen, and you get a very talented quarterback at number two, say Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson could be just as productive as Trevor Lawrence. Uh, is he as high a build prospect as Lawrence? Absolutely not. And to be honest, in a vacuum, I would still take Lawrence if I had the choice between the two because I'm not stupid. But once you're in the league, it kind of becomes about the situation around you more than it does about what you did in college. And Zach Wilson is extraordinarily talented. And if you give him a a good situation, he could be just as good. Like I, I don't necessarily think it's about what quarterback are you taking. It's about what situation are you building And the Jets have an opportunity here to trade down, get picks, and build a phenomenal situation for any young quarterback. Yeah, I fully agree. And if even if they stay put and they take Zach Wilson, if you add Zach Wilson and say, let's just grab a name out of the coaching tree hat, oh, Eric Bieniemy, right? If you take Bieniemy 
And pair him with Zach Wilson, and he's got Makai Becton at left tackle, and he's got Denzel Mims at wide receiver. Uh, the Jets have shown they have uh, some running back talent, uh, named or not. Uh, you know, you add some other pieces. Uh, Herndon showed out really well. Uh, they have some pieces. You're going to add more in the draft. If you add Banami and a guy like Zach Wilson, I, this team's fortunes are going to look tremendously different. The defense has players at each level. They could use some more linebacking talent, but look, Quinton Williams on a non-injury year has been a complete beast. He's not been alone on the defensive line. We saw Marcus May make a tremendous play downfield. You were a big fan of another safety they took out of Cal. Like There are pieces here with competent coaching if you have a quarterback who's a gamer, and, and Wilson is exactly that, and you add another piece of receiving talent, or maybe you add a high-profile tight end, you've already got enough running back talent, you add a couple of offensive line pieces down in the middle rounds, third, fourth round, like all of a sudden the Jets become like hyper-competitive in one year. I, I fully think it's possible. Um and since I don't want to spend this whole time just talking about the Jets, by the way, Rams fans, we will talk about you. Uh, I, I I do agree it could be one year or two years. But since I do want to talk about those Rams, this was not a season-killing loss, but it did expose a few things that they need to work on before the playoffs. I still think the Rams are one of the five or six best teams in the league and one of the shortlist contenders for the Super Bowl. But the Jets, with their interior defensive line talent, exposed some of the vulnerabilities in their run game, particularly center and right guard. They've got problems there. Uh, They were getting blown up inside all day long. I mean, all day long. It seems like the Jets' defensive line just kind of took turns teeing off on the center. Uh, I can't even remember who's starting at center for the Rams. Uh, I'll have to look it up, but... He was getting ragdolled every other play. That's a vulnerability they're going to have to address. Uh, I I think when you look at how they play match quarters, some of the late motions uh, in the first 15 plays of the game that were scripted, I I thought were actually very good play calls in terms of how they turned a 3-by-1 into a 4-by-1 to get Ty Johnson a free release to the flat. Uh, The busted coverage they created uh, in that three-by-one look on the touchdown to Ty Johnson where a linebacker just completely failed to pick him up in the flat. There's a bust in quarters. You know, some of the quarters beaters they had, and the Rams mostly play quarters, were very good and kind of exposed some of their communication issues in those match zone coverages. They're going to have to work on that. The penalties were awful. Uh, Jared Goff getting rattled by interior pressure was awful. The pick he threw uh, to, to Bryce Hall. You know, sitting there in a hang zone on a bootleg, and he was staring at him and just threw it right to him. That was awful. So I I think for as encouraging as that win was for the Jets and kind of a signal of what can be to come in a year once they jettison their coaching staff and get a few more players, it was also a wake-up call for a currently dominant team in the Rams that they're not infallible. They have weaknesses. And the tape from this game, every single team that plays them in the playoffs is going to look at this tape because it exposed a lot of things they got to fix. Yeah, the problem is most teams that uh, are going to play the Rams can't generate themselves a Quinn and Williams. Uh, That's true. (laughs) He was was a crusher. He picked up a sack, his seventh 
that's insane. And here's one that you probably could have won some money on uh, should you have found a, a parlay. The Jets have scored on eight straight opening drives. That means the last eight weeks the Jets have played, they've scored on the opening drive. If you bet that anywhere eight weeks ago, you are probably now a millionaire. <laughs> you know uh, what that tells me, by the way? Mm. It tells me that their script is phenomenal. Uh-huh. Once they're out of that script, they got no fucking idea what to do. Yeah, all. or a lot less. Uh, but in terms of what the Rams have going, yes, they have to figure out what they can do against a team that's going to generate consistent interior pressure. Um, they're also going to have to get a little bit tighter on the edge. That Ty Johnson opening score on a swing pass. Great play by Ty Johnson, but it shouldn't have been there. Um, Robert Woods, still amazing. <laughs> got a TD midway through the third quarter. Also got major yards on that reverse. That seemingly has worked all year. Woods on that end around, uh, has been a thing that has worked since the early parts of this year. Um, but the Rams actually got a little bit lucky in this game. I highlighted in the notes, every time the jets got a field goal, (laughs) when they could have got a fairly easy touchdown, jets had a lot of short field goals. Indeed, three short field goals in this game. If the jets were, uh, to your point, anywhere near competent in the red zone or off script, this would have been a blowout. This wouldn't have been a close win. The Jets would have rolled the Rams. Um, so oh, that, Rams speaking of red zone futility, by the way, that throw from Darnold that Berrios dropped was insane. I can't believe Berrios dropped that on the run. I mean, throwing yeah, across uh, Bar- his body. It, it feels wrong to throw Berrios under the bus because he's put in a yeoman's effort this, this year to really support a team that has been undermanned and has made some tremendous plays, but on that one, yeah, there's no excuses. Uh, and on the other side, I wanted to highlight one of those guys. We always love highlighting guys that maybe you don't know the name of that are playing tremendous football because, again, pretty much everybody in the NFL is really good, and Troy Reader had a great play on the goal line to actually force the Jets to go for one of those field goals on the goal line, knocking away a pass. Now, most people don't know Troy Reader as a name, if you go back and look at that play, it is played as well as it possibly could be. Um, tremendous play by Troy Reader. So just a little shout out to a guy that is going to get almost no national press, but made a big difference in this game. Doesn't mean his team gets the win, uh, but it would have been an even greater margin had he not made that play. If he doesn't make that play, it's absolutely a touchdown. He made the play on like the one yard line. His, you know, his offensive player easily goes into the end zone for a score. Uh, if he doesn't make that play, but, um, you know, really interesting in terms of the overall draft seating, obviously you've heard a lot about that. And then the jets interesting to sort of highlight the fact that although everybody penciled them in for a winless, winless season, uh, they're not lying down again. Remember players and coaches are not going to do that. That's not their job. They don't care about draft seating. This is their reality. They, you know, I saw a player post this week again for the millionth time. We don't care about your fantasy team. This is our reality, right? Yeah, this is guys trying to get that said that. Yeah, this is guys trying to get contracts. This is guys trying to get wins. This is guys trying to put their resume on tape. They're not going to roll over and say, "Well, I guess if I don't make that play, then we get Trevor Lawrence, so everything's okay." That is not their mindset. Zero percent. 
So yeah, these guys got kids to feed. Yep, that's right. Uh, so overall, just fascinating game for for a lot of different reasons. Um, I do want to kind of close off the show talking about Chargers and Raiders uh, every single week. I know we sound like a broken record at this point. Justin Herbert just making some of the most incredible throws of the season. I think it's fair to say uh, everybody who doubted him looks like an ass at this point, myself included. He, he It's not even like, oh, he looked good early in the season and people figured him out. Like, no, nah, he's he's continued to get better. I mean, he's had some down games, you know, like the, the one against the Patriots where Bill Belichick came out with a great game plan. But the fact that he was able to bounce back from that and, and put together this kind of performance – even against a soft Raiders defense. I mean, it's he's special, man. I mean, tying the all-time single-season rookie touchdown record despite not even playing in week one with two and a half games to go at the time, I mean, that's that's just inconscionable. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, this is a, this is a special kid, and I, I think he's – you could argue he's already one of the ten most dangerous quarterbacks in the league because when he's rearing up and throwing deep, there's few better at it. And uh, I, I, I think um, really the entire AFC West is in trouble because as soon as the Chargers get a more competent coaching staff and fill in a few holes on the roster, they can give anyone a run for their money. And yes, I'm including the Chiefs in that. Oh, for sure. Herbert is one of those guys that can threaten a team from anywhere on the field. And I mean anywhere on the field. If he is at his own 30 or greater, you need to stay on your guy because he can hit him and it can be a 75 yard score. Uh, it's that's just kind of the player he is. We saw it late in the game, 65 yard flat footed heave. He was flat footed through it, 65 yards, got him down to the goal line, didn't cause a score. And I saw people actually on social media being like, if he just let him, <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Dude, he threw it 65 yards in the air off a flat-footed stance. Like, yeah, if he let him, nobody else could either. He's got a cannon. He's got great accuracy, anticipation, timing. He has proven himself a downfield threat that was certainly not highlighted uh, in college at Oregon. And again, if you free this guy from a coaching staff that has bumbled around and quite frankly pissed away a lot of wins this year you're gonna see justin herbert ascend to superstar status give him a couple of more high-end receivers i realize he already has a couple on the roster if not three if you're counting hunter henry you give him a couple more receiving options you give him a tyree kill speed option one of those guys oh gads like forget it he you go you go four verts every down and just let him deal and he's going to polish off almost everybody hear me out Justin Herbert Keenan Allen Mike Williams Jalen Waddle ah oh, jesus no i okay <laughs> fine go right for the top i thought you were going to bring up Kadarius Tony <laughs> i mean either way yeah, Either I mean, way, to, two different choice. guys, but if you give him a Kadarius Tony in the slot as a sort of everything offensive weapon that he can just whip the ball to, like, oh, God. And that's just one player, right? If you give him a couple, if you give him a speed speed threat from the third or fourth and you you know beef up other positions with the higher draft picks and get rid of 
Lynn, because look, it's just not working out. You've made enough bad decisions that have cost your team games. Uh, this, uh, his future is just as bright as it gets. I mean, hell, they might even be in range to to draft Penny Sewell, to be honest. Because I sure, and if they do, and then they get a guy like you know, I'm not saying Kadarius Tony last of the second round, but there are plenty of speed guys that you can play in the slot, and if you get a guy that is like, again, you might as well just imitate the ones you want to beat. If you get a guy like Tyreek Hill or Mecole Hardman that stretches the field with that burning speed and you pair that with Herbert's arm, look out. Or can we just like forge the birth certificate of that BYU true freshman tight end and just bring him up in the league right now? Oh, because he'd be super God. fun. But I, I actually think Hunter Henry is, is is somewhat of a facsimile. But yeah, Brett's referring to the fact that I texted him last night during BYU's bowl game and said this freshman tight end for BYU is ridiculous. There's no way a guy like that was in high school last year, but it's actually true. Um, yeah, size and speed all over the place. Uh, look, you get this guy any number of weapons. Uh, you know, a deep speed threat is really what he could use because he's got a lot of big guys on that roster. He's got Williams and Keenan Allen's a big guy, runs routes really well, but he's not a burner. You get this guy a burner that can use that arm that he can throw 65 yards off a flat-footed stance, that offense is going to just morph into a whole different dimension. Uh, you get one or two of those guys in it. Yeah, because Jalen Guyton, who is fast, by the way, uh, I think he's a free agent after this year. So he might not be around um, next year because I, I think, again, he kind of provides that speed element, but I I think he might actually cost a little bit of money. I'll have to go back and check his, his contract, but I think he might be a free agent. He also does bring that kind of speed element. But again, you know, if you get a Tony, a Waddle, you know, you get contract control for five years, somebody who can grow up with Herbert side by side, somebody who runs, you know, legit 4-3 at a minimum. Like, that's that's just fun. But um, uh, enough about the Chargers' future. Let's talk about the Chargers' present uh, because they they just, they put a hurting on the Raiders. And Mariota, uh, or Mariota, I, I can't remember what the preferred pronunciation I'll is. I'll go with Mariota. 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 Uh, he did have a valiant effort to kind of bring them back, keep them in this game, force it into uh, into OT. But you could really see just how overmatched the Raiders' offensive line was. Like, if it was not for Marcus's legs, he would have been sacked at least another five times. Those Chargers edge rushers were just giving them all they could handle. Um, the, the receivers not super consistent at getting uh, separation other than, you know, Darren Waller as usual had a beautiful touchdown down this down the sideline, by the way, great ball thrown to him. But how often do you see, uh, you know, a, a tight end that you can basically use as an X receiver to go uh, catch, you know, fades down the sideline one-on-one. Like he's just, he's a crazy talent himself, but other than Waller, I felt like the Raiders receivers were very underwhelming. The pass protection was very underwhelming. The defense obviously got shredded for most of the game. Uh, it, it just everything around Mariota seemed to be lacking. I, I think this Raiders team is deeply flawed. If they go to the playoffs, if they make it, I think it's a one undone type scenario. I don't think their roster is complete enough to compete with the best of the AFC. I think they're probably another year away, truth be told. 
Yeah, they looked really good in the midseason. We certainly got on the bandwagon. Uh, that Carta Agalor connection was looking really good. They were hitting their deep shots, and that can mask a lot of deficiencies, right? They don't need to grind out drives and be consistent. They can make a shot play from 55 yards, pick up the points, and walk off the field. Again, if they're scoring in bunches, the defense is going to have a lot less pressure on it and can come with their ears pinned back and not play as conservative or as consistent. In this one, Trayvon Mullen rough night ended up four penalties on the night for the Raiders corner uh typically a pretty good player did not have that experience in this one um Nick Kukowski former bear picks up a personal foul for lowering his helmet it was a ticky tacky penalty but it was the kind of thing that was just you know a big snowball rolling downhill and picking up steam uh the Raiders were uh basically kicking themselves in the shins and they just couldn't keep up with Herbert. Mariota made a valiant effort. He made some very nice throws. I think he probably, he's already got a good contract as a backup, one of the best contracts as a backup in the in the league. But if anything, he made, made himself some money on an evening when people are going to look at him and say, hey, that's a guy that we could, you know, count on to carry us for four or five games. Uh, but the Raiders slide is something we need to talk about. The only win they've had in the last six weeks is the Hail Mary that got Greg Williams fired, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Greg Williams calls a zero blitz, ill-advised. Many people have said so. They end up beating the Jets. They needed a Hail Mary on a zero blitz to beat the Jets. I'll just let that sink in for a minute. Other than that, they are winless for the last six weeks. That is not the team we saw in the first half of the season that took the Chiefs to the brink Um they have really fallen apart. I don't know what that is, whether it's lack of leadership, whether it's lack of overall talent and firepower, combination of the two. But the bottom line is, it's a meritocracy. You are what your record says you are. And the Raiders right now are basically on an 0-6 streak. Yes, they have that win against the Jets to offset that. So it only looks like they've lost two in a row. But right now, the Raiders slide is a big deal and if i am john gruden and mike mayock i'm saying whew we have maybe more work to do than i thought we did certainly i was feeling a whole lot better in the first half of the season than i am in the second to me you know as i mentioned their their slide you know of the last six weeks it really comes down to Lack of efficiency on offense. They've slid all the way down to 17th in adjusted line yards. I mean, they're really struggling to run the ball. And I fully, you know, I'll give them. They've had some O-line injuries, uh, COVID, like absences because of COVID. Like they've they've had kind of a, a revolving door at offensive line this year, which has affected things. But this is a team that needs to run the ball. They need to give Derek Carr, you know, third and medium, basically. For, for him to really be at his best. Like, he can make some great throws down the field. We've seen him do that, uh, you know, in the first Chiefs game. Uh, there, What, about a month ago, there was a, a few throws that he made on the run that were just jaw-dropping. Like, he's got a couple of those in him per game, but the margin for error is not nearly as, as high as it is for other teams like, say, Kansas City or arguably the Chargers. You know, their their deep passing game is not quite at that level. So they need to be able to run the ball and give Derek a better margin of error. 
They can't do that right now, so the offense is struggling. And then on the defense, the DBs can't cover. They can't stop the run at all. Um, it's It's been truly a miserable experience to watch their games just because of how frustratingly inefficient this team is overall. Uh, like they're 25th in adjusted line yards allowed, by the way, in their front seven. So like that's how, uh, and by that I mean like they average 4.6 yards per carry against them, which is just atrocious. There's only a few teams in the league that are worse than that. And it's like Dallas, Detroit, Houston, Cincinnati. Like that's the quality of defense we're talking about here that they're lumped in with. So if you can't run the ball and you can't play defense on a John Gruden team that has to be able to run the ball and play defense, guess what? The formula is not going to work. So there's a reason why they've been able to get barely any wins in the last month and a half. And it's because the formula that they built this team around, quite frankly, doesn't work for them right now. They don't have the talent for it. Uh, They've had some injuries that have kind of affected their talent for it. But it's just, it's, there's a misfit here between what the coach wants and what the roster will allow him to do. I think they have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, I know they spent a lot of money at linebacker. They've invested a lot of picks at defensive line. You know, you fire your defensive coordinator because you feel like it's not working, and then the next week it still doesn't work. Like, it's a talent issue for me. They need to invest more at linebacker in the draft. They need to invest more uh, in the draft at defensive line. They need to be able to stop the run because everything they've tried to bring in players to fix that problem has not worked. And they need to take more swings at the plate because if they don't, this problem is going to persist into next year and the year after that and the year after that. And this team's never going to go anywhere. If you can't play defense and you can't stop the run, you're not going to win games flat out. Yeah, it's a really interesting place in terms of uh, I know you lauded Mike Mayock for his uh, effectiveness over the last couple of years and, and what he's brought into the organization. And he has brought a lot of talent into the organization, but it's about matching it up to the style you want to play with and really patching those holes. And if they kind of stubbornly go for, quote unquote, best player available and they don't address those things uh, either through free agency or the draft because those are both options that are open to them. They're going to continue to struggle. They need to fill those holes and find some players that allow Gruden to play the style he wants to play because Gruden, for all his strengths, is a stubborn coach, and he's not just going to suddenly go, okay, I'm morphing away from the system I've loved my entire career, and I'm going to do whatever else. Uh, That's not... I think going to happen. I don't expect that kind of flexibility from him, whether or not it would be good for the team. So you better figure out how to buy the groceries for the meal that John Gruden wants to cook, or else you're going to see results like this that are going to lack meaning late in the season. And that's tough on Raiders fans. And they're going to have to find a way to effectively, I don't know, maybe another year will make a difference because Prior to this year, Corey Littleton was a great player. Prior to this year, Nick Kwiatkowski was a good linebacker. Both of them have been very underwhelming this year, particularly in run defense. I don't know what the hell happened. Maybe it was a coaching issue. I don't know. But if this doesn't change for next year, they have to have answers. They have to have another guy behind them that they can throw in the lineup because they can't just sit there and let these guys play bad football for a lot of money. They just can't do it. Jonathan Abram, who they invested a first-round pick in. He's been playing really, really poorly in coverage. They need to have another answer 
potentially for next season that can take his job if he doesn't improve. Because again, if you just leave these guys on the field because you invested high picks or you invested a lot of money, you're not going to get better. Like football is the ultimate meritocracy. If you leave bad football players or at least underwhelming football players on the field out of some sense of obligation, you're not going to win games. Like going back to the Eagles, like they invested a lot of money in Carson Wentz. He played bad. They benched his ass. They put in Jalen Hurts, immediately got better. The Raiders are going to have to consider that. Yeah, they are. And and with Kwiatkowski, at least, he played better than he had on the Bears for, again, the first five or six games. He looked like a wholly different player. He was holding his own in coverage. He made a bunch of plays. He had a sort of crazy interception. And look, the coverage aspect of Nick Kwiatkowski's game was always the one that we questioned. So Bears fans were like, why did he get so much better when he went to the Raiders? I'm with you the last three or four weeks. He hasn't looked that way. It's kind of the everything's not working. Littleton is staggering to me because I thought he was a tremendous player with the Rams. I really thought it was a great pickup by the Raiders. We both did. We talked about that in the offseason preview. And he hasn't played as well in pass coverage uh, as he did with the Rams. And that's a necessary element when you're in the AFC West. You're going to see a lot of passing sets. And we thought that's a great move for them. And it hasn't turned out that way. Abram, a guy I was super excited about uh, coming out in the draft, big hitter, but also had some two-way ability and has been extremely one-sided, has been that guy looking for the big hit against the run game and has been uh, lost in pass coverage. And again, in the AFC West, that's going to get you not just beat, it's going to get you flogged. So the Raiders have a lot of soul searching to do about what they're going to do, where they're going to spend their dollars, how they're going to focus their draft picks and how they're going to fix this thing. Because again, they came out of the gate super hot. It looked like their plan was coming together. And then uh, the wheels fell off. And for the last six weeks, man, they have really floundered. They have one win and it's against the middling Jets. And it came on the very last play of the game. Don't underestimate the sort of depth of this slide. They are basically 0 and 6. Yeah, I gotta I gotta do like a deep dive in the offseason to see what changed because it's so rare to see an entire team play well for the first half of the season and then just completely shit the bed. And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, they got affected by injuries. Like everybody has injuries. It's not like the whole team was gone. Like they had plenty of starters still on the field. Other teams have played well while losing starters, like the Baltimore Ravens. They lost a whole bunch of guys, you know, still played really, really well in the back half of the season so far. So I got to do some work to see why all of a sudden this defense took a turn from slightly below average to straight up garbage. I got to see why this offense took a turn from highly efficient, uh, you know, with a little bit of pop and sizzle with the deep ball to can't get anything done. Like I got to figure out what caused this because to me, it's one of the great mysteries of the NFL this season, how a team that played so well to start six and three and legitimately was a six and three type football team. Like they weren't lucking into victories. They were legitimately good. And then were legitimately terrible i i it's rare to ever see that and i don't know what happened so uh why don't we get out of here ej uh since the holiday show was supposed to be short by our standards and 
in typical bootleg fashion, we're pushing an hour and a half because even our short episodes are I'm, long. I'm good. We're like 40 minutes short of our regular. Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah anyways, it's... we've got our bootleg shot of the week nominees. We didn't talk about all these games, so pay attention. Carlos Dunlap of the Seahawks, who's been a pass rushing force since he arrived with a bulldozing sack. If you want to see this one, it was 108 in the fourth quarter. The thing that makes this impressive is not necessarily his hit on the quarterback, but the fact that he bulldozed the offensive tackle on the way to the quarterback. He basically got a twofer. So that's the reason we nominated Carlos Dunlap. The next one, the rare offensive player that we had mentioned. We had an offensive player win this week. There's a chance for next week that we could have the same thing because Tyree Phillips <laughs> scooped up the fumble and bounced Miles Jack like four yards back on his whatever it was 20 25 yard rumble that was at 14 15 in the fourth quarter of the ravens game if you want to see that against the panthers or sorry against the jaguars miles jack bounced off him like a toy it was ridiculous um carl granderson of the saints had a second big sack of Mahomes. The first one was good. The second one is the one we're talking about because it caused a fumble. That is 11.03 at the fourth quarter mark if you want to see Carl Granderson pick up his twofer. And then we got to talk about it. Juju danced. Good for him. Juju got smoked. Uh, I have two quotes for this one. The first one is, you pays your money and you takes your chances. And if you don't like that quote, it's play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Anyways, Von Bell lit him up famously. Um, we will put the link to that shot uh, in the comments in YouTube. But uh, so number one, Carlos Dunlap. Number two, Tyree Phillips. Number three, Carl Granderson. And the last one, Von Bell uh, getting a little payback on Juju for, for doing his dance, which he has since renounced for, uh, quote unquote, the good of myself and the good, the betterment of myself and the betterment of my teammates. Uh, he has decided he will no longer dance on logos. And if I got hit like that by Von Bell, I might decide the very same thing. Oh, so he did say he, he came out today on Twitter and said uh, in this order for the betterment of myself and for the betterment of my teammates, I have decided I will stop dancing on logos before the game because it wasn't just the Bengals. He's he's been doing this uh, for quite a while, putting the dances on TikTok, and uh, you know the Bengals took exception to that and they uh, let him know. Uh, is the short way to say that? I think my my favorite was when the Bengals tweeted out the hit and they said Von Bell hit Von Bell hits uh, TikTok star Juju Smith Schuster. Yes, indeed. Like, oh, that's now, cold. That's so oh, cold. the pettiness. Uh, we love oh, the pettiness the here on Bootleg, but uh, all four of those shots, pretty worthy. But uh, check out the highlights on the YouTube Bootleg Football channel. Vote for your favorites. We will have the winner next week. What are you doing for the rest of the week? I know it's Christmas, uh, but I also know you're working. Well, I do have an episode on, I guess you could call it the happiness and sadness of Jets fans coming out Christmas morning. Not necessarily a film breakdown, but more sort of like a state of the franchise where I, I make a lot of the same points I made tonight, but uh, drink hot toddies while I do it. That's kind of my drink of the week on the show. Really good stuff. Uh, and then I got a film room coming out on the Ravens run game shortly after that, sometime between 
probably Monday. I would, I would imagine that one's coming out. Uh, and then Thursday, I think I might do a film room on Trey Hendrickson, speaking of Saints defensive Ooh. ends, because he's had a whale of a year, tied for the league lead in sacks, had a phenomenal year, uh, and one of my favorite edge rushers. Um, before we get down to here, I do want to say one thing. Uh, we lost a legend uh, this week in Kevin Green, who played for several teams around the league, one of the all-time great sack masters, Died very young this week at only 58. Um, I, I, nobody knows what the cause of death was, um, nor do we really need to. But uh, just really tragic. And anytime somebody dies so young, especially around the holidays, it's just it's awful. So I want to uh, say I'm keeping my, my thoughts and prayers with the Green family. He was a tremendous football player, tremendous person, great coach. And uh, the NFL family is, is a worse place without him. Did you hear the story that Lewis Riddick told about him on the broadcast? Oh, yeah. It was great. It was hilarious. It was so Lewis great. Riddick, uh, basically, they were going for an offensive snap. They decided to go for punt coverage. That meant Lewis Riddick drew the, drew the assignment of trying to block Kevin Green uh, on punt coverage. Kevin Green, uh, he said, saw him across, lined up across from him and laughed. <laughs> um, it was like, oh, what God. are you doing here? Um Anyways, Kevin Green, a tremendous, one of the first sort of uh, really prolific and uh, celebrated sack artist made made the Hall of Fame on sacks more than almost anything else. Not that he was not a complete football player and by all accounts was a guy that absolutely loved playing a game and loved life in equal measures. Uh, everybody talked about him being happy-go-lucky. Again, uh, not even 60 years old, uh, you know, Hall of Famer, gold jacket, seemed to love that as much or more than almost anybody. Uh, a tremendous loss overall. Yeah. So, again, thoughts and prayers with his family, especially on the holidays. Tragic situation. But uh, I, I do want to hope that everybody listening to the podcast today, you know, hug your loved ones tight, have a good holidays with them. Uh, if I can do it, I'm sure you guys can do it with yours. Absolutely. Happy holidays to everybody. Thank you so much for all the support this year. We really appreciate you. We hope this helps get you through the holidays if you're having a rough spot. Um, Bears Over Beers will be coming out on Friday this week, looking at why the Bears have turned it around and uh, some of the predictions we made earlier in the year and which ones are right and which ones are wrong. Uh, so I've got that dropping on Friday. But other than that, Hey, enjoy Christmas Eve if you celebrate Christmas, uh, if you celebrate any myriad of other holidays around this special time of year. Uh, the best to you and yours. We will see you on the flip side of that. Uh, keep it listening here. And until then, we will talk to you soon. Later. Later.